0: Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode 57. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me every week, as always, is one of the most positive forces in hip-hop. Mitchell Davis.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that What's sounds up? good. <laughs> not much. Trying to stay positive. <laughs> yeah. A- exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> this week we've got three new albums from uh, Tom Moon's book, 1000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die. The first one is Deep Purple Machine Head. And the second one is De La Soul, uh, Three Feet High and Rising. And then the second, uh, not the second, the third one is is uh, Sandy Denny, her album, Sandy. So, yeah, three uh, completely different things. Um, Two albums released in 1972. I thought that was interesting. Two really different albums released the same year. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so we'll start with Deep Purple Machine Head, released in 1972. And uh, this is from one of the... The big, I, I don't know, they they kind of sometimes refer to them as the big British three that sort of uh, were dominating hard rock at that time, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath, and Led Zeppelin. And uh, this was, uh, along with Black Sabbath, this sort of proto-heavy metal, you know, that, that kind of started that genre. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about <laughs> one of the you know, seminal songs that every guitarist, uh, learns, but, uh, first, uh, a little bit about Machine Head. I didn't really know. This is one of those albums I probably should have known, but I didn't really know this album very well. I mean, I knew Smoke on the Water, of course, and I'd heard Highway Star before, but, um, I've never owned the album and, uh, yeah, I, did did you know this album well besides the sort of songs that you always hear?
2: I'm, I'm about like you were. I, I never yeah. owned it, and it was a record I knew about, you know. But it's it's mainly from you know just the the history of the the big songs on it, you know that, you know, because I mean I'm you know 1972, you know I was I think three years old, uh, you know. But, yeah, but yeah. even even with that, I knew the the influence of this record obviously because of. You know, Smoke on the Water mainly, I mean, that was the one song that, you know, you think of when when somebody like especially back in the day first bought a guitar, it's like one of the first songs they try to learn how to sing I mean, sing, learn how to play and um, and how the influence of of Deep Purple and their their style, especially where they were kind of like not just a hard rock band, but a a band that would kind of jam, if you would in that sense where they would, they would have this, these long instrumental like grooves that, mm-hmm, that was the one mm-hmm. thing about this album that I, that I, I always thought about. They were, they were one of the first bands to kind of do it that way where it was, it was rocking, but it was grooving at the same time where they would just, the singer would just shut up and the band would just go. And and it was like, man, you know, they're, yeah, yeah. they're pretty amazing, <laughs> you know? Right,
1: right, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm the, you know, this was, uh, heavily led this jamming thing, this sort of instrumental thing, was heavily led by John Lord, who played sort of organ. Yeah. And then Richie Blackmore, the guitarist who uh, really influenced a a lot of heavy metal and hard rock guitarists and shredders and all kinds of things that came after him. Um, You know, a lot of those people often cite Richie Blackmore as like a major influence on them.
2: Yeah, I I would say his his influence is huge um i mean when you you talk about guitar players his name will come up i mean not as much as you know you know the so-called you know guitar gods you know the jimmy page and Hendrix and, and the like but he i i would say that his style you know you know is is definitely it's up there you know as far as the way he played and, and, you know, just people hearing him play and just going, man, I wish I could play like him.
1: Right. You know, right.
2: I mean, it was, it was just easy to appreciate what he brought to the table. You yeah. Know,
1: well, he I was think. like, yeah, he was like a guitarist, guitarist. I mean, when you, yeah. when you see like lists made of like greatest guitarists of all time and stuff. Yeah. You always see Jimi Hendrix and uh, Jimmy page and all that stuff. But when you hear guitar players, talk about who they were influenced by. Richie Blackmore is almost always on their list, you know? Yeah, um, sure. And uh, we're going to start off with Highway Star. And uh, I, one, one other thing I thought was interesting when I was doing my research is um, the the band has gone through a lot of different members over the years. Um, they're still going. They're still... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're still performing, they're still recording. Uh there's only one original member left in the band. And uh I can't remember who it I think it's the drummer, actually. But um, yeah, there's only one original member left. Um, but some of the the musicians that went through this band uh went on later to uh, be very successful or vice versa. They were successful and they became members of the band. So, uh, like I think the singer after, uh, Oh my God, what's this guy's name? I didn't write it down.
2: Oh, Ian, Ian Gillian.
1: Yes. The singer after Ian Gillian, uh, that they picked up was David Coverdale who in the eighties would go on to Mm -hmm. be the singer of white snake.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) and um i thought you know just interesting things like in the there was like one year in the 90s where joe satriani was their guitarist and uh then later on they picked up steve morse who was originally from kansas who's still their guitarist uh to this day um so a lot of people have sort of come in and out of this band but uh this lineup uh, with richie blackmore and uh and John Lord, um, obviously the the most influential, the you know the most important lineup from this band. And uh, first track we're gonna listen to "Highway Star." Uh, it really shows off both of their soloing capabilities, John Lord and Richie Blackmore. Um, first, John Lord has this long extended solo, and I think his his I don't know his organ tone is interesting because it's distorted. You know, it's like a Hammond organ run through like a distortion or something. Yeah. And it has a really heavy tone. Um, And so there's this big solo by him. And then there's a big solo by Richie Blackmore in this song. Um, And the Hammond sound in Deep Purple, you know, this is 1972. The Hammond sound kind of harkens back to the 60s. It's kind of sounds like a throwback. You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time his his sort of distorted tone that he has on it is sort of new. I don't know. It's it's yeah, it's an interesting blend.
2: Yeah, um yeah, the the whole mix of, I guess, kinda sixties but seventies, you know combination, I guess, is it, it brought a brought up some, you know, some sort of new genres like the the acid rock term. That was one of those those terms I thought that was kind of a mix of of 60s psychedelic, you know, sound but 70s kind of rock and groove, you know, sound. I, I think, you know, that's kind of where some of that, you know, that comes from, you know, like you said the the mixing of the two where it's 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 a it's a it's an organ which definitely that the Hammond organ that it has that that throwback to the 60s but i mean you know still some new stuff in in the yeah the way they 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 rocked it harder than a lot of people rocked in the 60s for yes. sure you know yes so, for sure um i think they like i said they were they were definitely huge on on influence with a lot of people at this point i mean the the clip that's on our our facebook page i I love that performance of this song I mean I, I remember seeing it way back and I was just like that just totally captures kind of what what they were about you know especially in in a live setting I mean because you listen to them on this record it's one thing but to to hear them play live it was it was awesome <laughs>
1: yeah, right I mean right. I've,
2: never, I've never seen them live but just seeing that clip I mean it yeah it gives you a, a, a whole different perspective of what they could do you yeah. know
1: yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And this, this, this interplay between like a sort of virtuoso keyboardist and virtuoso guitarist. I mean, you can hear that legacy, um, in bands like, like dream theater or something like nowadays, you know, where you have that same dynamic between this virtuoso keyboard player, virtuoso guitar player. Um, and yeah, it stems, I think from this band from deep purple. Um, and lyrically, this song—I mean, you know—it's nothing super profound. It's a—you know—it's about like a badass car. You know, yeah. that's what it is. <laughs> and you're
2: not gonna take it from that's—that's that's that's right. Thing. It's yeah, a, it's a definitely a, a rebellion. I would say a rebellion song where, yes. you know, you—you got a guy. He—he he has like you said a badass ride, and and you know, he's—he's he's on the loose, <laughs> so to speak.
1: That's right. Uh, <clears throat> Yep, I can't, can't stop him. He's free. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, let's check this out. This is Highway Star from Deep Purple. highway star we're going to move on to the iconic smoke on the water Um, and you know I think in Tom Moon's entry in the book he sums up some uh, smoke on the water really well the very first sentence of uh, this entry he uh, he writes deep purple smoke on the water lives wherever guitars are sold
2: Yeah. (laughs) And that's pretty
1: accurate. Um, I worked in a music retail store for a couple years, and I can attest to that. You know, it definitely lives there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) By every guitarist of really any skill level, you know. Um, So that was one you always hear. You know, everybody makes that joke, you know like the thing out of Wayne's world where they have that sign. It says no stairway. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a sign that says no stairway because everybody would come in and play stairway to heaven. That's actually not the case anymore. Like nobody knows. None of these kids know stairway to heaven for whatever yeah, reason. That that's so pretty funny. <laughs> but there is, there was a sign that I wanted to put up. I really wanted to put it up, which said no sweet child. Wow. Because I heard that thing, the introduction to "Sweet Child of Mine," fifty times a day, played unbelievably That's so badly. Funny. Yeah, That's that so that fu- has replaced yeah uh, stairway now.
2: <laughs> well, and see, you know that. And that that I'm glad you said that. It's it's funny to see how generations change, you know yeah. from from year to year, and and to see what what is now the so-called standard, you know. And uh, obviously, we'll we'll talk about them much later. I, oh, dude, I have so much to say about that band. It's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that that's funny. How that song is now, you know, what what you hear when you go into yeah music stores where it used to be Stairway to Heaven. That's funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. So yeah, Smoke on the Water. Um. The. The story behind Smoke on the Water is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, It started... This whole song started with... uh, They were going to travel to Montreux in Switzerland, which is like a resort area in Switzerland, with uh, casinos and, you know, stuff like that. It's people... Where people in Europe go, you know, um, to vacation and stuff. And uh, what happens, I guess in Montreux is during the winter which is the off season a lot of the hotels the big hotels will close and they'll do renovations and stuff so they'll be empty so one practice i guess a lot of these um hotels just like in vegas had theaters and uh they were going to use this one theater um at the Montreux casino in switzerland and uh they got there on December 6th, I think, and on December 7th was the last thing that was going on for that season. It was Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention playing in that theater. And what happened was some dude in the crowd fired a, a flare into the ceiling of the theater and essentially burned down the Damn. entire place.
2: Unbelievable. Yeah, there, there was
1: no uh, fatalities or anything, but yeah, that burned down the entire thing. And uh, so then they were, you know, basically stuck. They're like, well, what do we do now? And they sort of bounced around between a couple of hotels and ended up at this hotel called the Grand Hotel where they had to re- they set up the Rolling Stones mobile recording unit um, outside in the parking lot. And then they were recording up in a hallway like of this empty hotel, and they had, you know, cables and stuff running through bathrooms and rooms and down marble stairways and all this stuff, like, out the front door to this this mobile recording unit. And uh, that's how this song basically started. It was uh, about this experience, you know, about yeah. the whole experience. That's what this whole thing is about. and I think the lyrics... I um, you know I've never really listened to the lyrics before but I think it's kind of funny how you know some bands would like take an experience like this and write a song about it and you know make the lyrics sort of metaphorical or you know something like that these are these just straight up tells the story it's what I like, actually have <laughs> yeah it's almost like just somebody just sitting across from you just telling the story I mean the first chorus or the, or the first verse is like, says we all came out to Montreux on the Lake Geneva shoreline to make records with a mobile we didn't have much time Frank Zappa and the mothers were at the bless, uh, the best place around but some stupid with a flare gun burned the place to the ground that's the first verse yeah. and and the whole thing goes like that it's just a, basically just a retelling of this <laughs> of this whole thing of this experience well, it,
2: it, it's, I mean it, I guess it's kind of one of those stories that's it's so hard to believe. In some ways, I mean, there's really you don't really have to change much and right. try to make it too right. deep, you know. Just like, hey, let me tell you what happened here, <laughs> you know. And um, I think you can you can go on YouTube and the actual sound audio of that show that Frank Zappa where where the actual event happens where the gun goes off, you can hear that like the audio. Of that. Really? I can't remember where I saw that, but I it's you, like you can go on YouTube, type in probably just type in Frank of "Smoke on the Water," and it, the actual audio because it's like you can hear Frank talking, and then all of a sudden you can kind of hear like a rustle, where like people are like, "Okay, it's I guess it's time to go." <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And I, I'll, I'll look and see if I can find that and and attach it to whatever, wherever I can to make it relevant on our, our page. But I <laughs> I saw that one day and I was like, "Oh man, I didn't know that they had the audio." Actually oh, that's available, we could listen to that. Yeah. Know? So. Yeah. Yeah, but I, anyway, yeah, that's that's pretty, uh, yeah, pretty fascinating the way this song came about and like the history of it and how how it went on to be you know you know this iconic you know, song that. Right. People well, that's to, that's you know? right.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that they went down there to record this album and this song. You know, in their minds, they've got all the songs ready to go for the album. The song didn't even exist, and yeah. then it becomes this. You know, yeah, this super iconic song. that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, like I said, prototype for heavy metal, uh, super famous riff. One of the one of the most famous rock riffs ever written yeah really this is it i mean yeah um yeah anything else you want to say about this
2: <laughs> no no you you pretty much summed up okay everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's check it out uh deep purple smoke on the water just heard deep purple smoke on the water and we're going to move on to our second album de la soul three feet high and rising released in 1989 and uh you mentioned last time that uh like like growing up around the time 89 90 this was one of your favorite albums yep yeah yeah you want to sure yeah you want to talk a little bit about um just I don't know just how you discovered this album and and kind of the impact that it made on you at the time.
2: Well, the the thing with with De La Soul the this record is to me one of the best, not just hip hop records or rap records, but one of the best records ever to come out, period. And I mean uh, the first thing that came across from me to, from De La Soul to me was a song uh, called "Plug Tuning." Um, that basically kind of, you know, harps on the the two guys in this group that, that rap, uh, True Groy, the Dove, and, um, oh, and I'm drawing a blank. (laughs) And, um...
1: Well, the other guy whose name I had trouble pronouncing, um... (laughs)
2: news. <laughs> Is that how you <laughs> pro- say it? Okay. Yeah, who's probably like, you know, wanting to grab me right now and shake my head if if he could hear me talking about anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, you Dug know, we're, we're
1: we're getting old. The the brain, the, you know, sometimes uh, yeah,
2: blood flow. <laughs> <laughs> they there were two two guys that I I'd never heard anybody rap quite like them. In a sense to where the the word structure and what they would say sometimes made absolutely no sense <laughs> you know where you would have to literally <clears throat> kind of sit down and listen very closely to what they were saying because they kind of would would sort of speak in this cryptic language if you would that i mean it was it was word there were words that make sense but they weren't you know making sense in a way that you see it right on the surface. Sometimes they they would rap about stuff and you'd hear it, but it wouldn't make sense to you until maybe like sometimes weeks, months, years later, <laughs> you know. And I I loved that about them where they they were not very typical at that time as what people would consider to be, you know, a rap group, you know. I mean cuz for the most part, I mean, especially in the late 80s, I mean, it was either, you know, rapping about partying and having a good time or rapping about what was going on in the streets, you know, so-called, you know, street rap, thug rap, you know, that, I mean, which really hadn't jumped off as much except for maybe like NWA, but De La Soul were one of the, one of the first groups that kind of were were on a different sort of agenda, if you will. I mean, people initially kind of, you know, tried to lay over on hippies and, you know, this this new style of rap that because especially because of the daisies, the whole thing with for three feet high rise and rising, they they had these uh these daisies on their album and the the Daisy Age was kind of like a another way of or an anagram if you would for the inner sound y'all I think that's what that was you know which it was basically like rappers that were kind of rapping. From a perspective where they were really just talking about their own lives and their own individual struggles and not necessarily trying to sort of go with the industry you know model of what rap was supposed to be right, right. and and i i've always appreciated that about this record because it helped carve the identity for so many other rappers that came after them that were like thinking well if they could do this maybe we can too where we're not from new york we're not from california we're not from anywhere that anybody knows anything about (laughs) you know but we have a story to tell i mean they also they i mean from what i understand there i mean they were kind of new yorkers but they were really from long island you know which is it's a whole different kind of atmosphere from you know like maybe like brooklyn or the bronx or manhattan it's it's, it's kind of like the suburbs almost in a way I mean part of Long Island I mean it's definitely not like what you would consider a hood <laughs> you know? right 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 so so that was that was interesting in a sense to where you have a a group of guys you know with with these different ideas and culture and 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 pride in who they were you know proud of being black proud of being you know, you know, growing up in a, in a certain way, and 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 they weren't trying to conform to, you know, the gold chains and and the kangles, and because that was you know that was cool for a lot of people up to that point, and and everybody was kind of doing the same thing, but they were like you know, instead of wearing gold chains, we're going to wear we're going to wear like black leather medallions that have like Africa on it, you know, just just little stuff like that, and um, you know, being. How old was I? 18, 19, somewhere in there. That was just, it was, I was so ready for that record. It was just like the planets lined up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of like my, my first, you know, thoughts about this record is that it was, it was groundbreaking in a sense to where rap kind of needed, uh, a new voice or, you know, not necessarily a, a, a different voice from what was going on, but a new voice that was, well, yeah, <laughs> screw it. a, a different, a different voice that, that wasn't the same old, same old, you know? Yes. And, um, you know, they, they, I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people, I mean, that they, they, they talk about that in me myself and I, where they, they got criticized from the jump by, like people are like going, what's wrong with y'all? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's, what's, where's, where's, where are the gold chains? You know, where's the, you know, the fly bitches and this and that. I mean, the, the way rappers normally were used to being, you know, pigeonholed into, you know, this, that, and the other They they caught all kinds of flag about not doing that.
1: Well, you want to start with me, myself, and I, because I mean, that video you sent and that song really touches on all that stuff, you know, you were talking about. Um, I'd never seen that video before.
2: Oh, wow. Really?
1: And, uh, (laughs) Man, they look so young, man. In that video, I mean, they look like they're still in high school.
2: They they Um, were. I mean, that was another thing about them. You know, rap was still such in such a fledgling state. I mean, where rap is kind of almost king now. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it with with you know artists like Jay Z and stuff. I mean, it's you know, rap's not considered really a novelty like it was back then when you had MTV and Yo MTV Raps, especially. You know, Yo M T V Raps is one of those those sort of shows where rappers could catch a huge break if they got played on that show. And the, I'm pretty sure the very first place I saw me, myself, and I was on Yo Yo M T V raps with <clears throat> with Dre and, and Ed Lover. And um mm. the very first uh-huh. time they came on that show, they had like one of those um you know those basketball goals that you you kind of stick on the wall with the the, the sort of like you know, rubber suction cup thing, uh-huh. and then like the little foam Nerf ball basketball. Yeah. Well, what De La Soul came on that show on that set, and they were they were all like shooting like this basketball, a little Nerf ball into one of those hoops, and I was like, you know, who does that? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> most of the time you have rappers that come on there, they were either really really serious or really really kind of raucous. They were just like these like regular guys just having fun, you know. And I was like, "That's so. That's so who I am." <laughs> you know, yeah. I was, yeah. I was not like the the guy in, you know, the kango and the gold chain and and the big radio. And that, and like I said, that's cool. But that wasn't who I was. Or and and I definitely wasn't, you know, you know, robbing and stealing and all that. You know, it was just I was just a regular kind of dude. And I I so related to them. You know, just being themselves. You know, that was that was pretty funny to me. But anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, like you said, this video is, and that—that's this song and that video. It, it so touches on them trying to like try to be themselves in an atmosphere where, you know, it was not easy, especially in those days yeah. to kind of set yourself mm-hmm. apart. Yeah, you know.
1: Well, that's a good analogy. You know, they're in this classroom and they're just themselves, and everybody else in the classroom are these rap stereotypes, I guess, from the time you're we, we talking about, like the big gold chains and all that stuff, and they're all making fun of them and pushing them around and throwing paper at them and all this stuff. And, uh, uh, there, there's, you know, several different things going on. You know, they're making several different statements in the video and the song, you know, about image and about conformity and about content of just the, the song content and about, you know going in a new direction and like taking a bunch of heat for it and uh yeah you know it was it was interesting it, it kind of brought me back to that time that uh you know the the late 80s you know mtv and i think if you were a teenager in the late 80s you know everybody watched mtv you know and yeah. it was like a it was a totally different channel than it is now oh yeah um, oh yeah and one of the things that I it was in the video for like a second, and I was like, Whoa, I was like, Wait a minute, who is that guy?
2: There's with the this, black face,
1: no, the guy with the electric guitar, he like comes up, oh, real yeah, quick. yeah, uh,
2: yeah,
1: and, and and so I, <laughs> I researched because I was like, Okay, I kind of remember who is that, and um, it turned out it was this guy who would come on mtv and he was called randy of the redwoods
2: yeah yeah because he, he he would wear dashiki and, and that was when they bring up the line about being hippies um yeah because he was a total hippie yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about that
1: <laughs> well i totally forgot about it too and i actually went on uh youtube and looked up randy the redwoods and i watched one of the segments <laughs> and i was just like wow this is terrible it was awful it wasn't funny it was it was horrible but i don't know that was just like one of these things that was on mtv at the time that you know i don't know
2: i don't and and, and (laughs) then like you said it it was one of those things it was an mtv thing because it was exclusive to mtv yeah and it it was bad but it was so bad it was good in a way (laughs) and um That guy kind of reminds me of uh, of Weird Al Yankovic, where he's he's just one of those guys. He's just like a character, you know, or or Pee Wee Herman, you know. Just he just kind of shows up places where you're like, you know, he's probably a comedian, but he's got a character that he does, and he just kind of shows up here and there. And you know, some people get it, some people don't, you know. But yeah, (laughs) I'm I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm Randy of the Redwoods. I. I totally forgot about that part of the video. I <laughs> thought you were because there, there's also another thing in that video where the um, there's a I, it's what I call the image guy. There's a there's a person who they, he literally like has this it's like a black mask on his face. It almost looks like a like a stocking and a baseball cap, and then he's got like the the daylight Soul shirt on, like the Daisy age shirt. And he in the video at first you kind of see him sitting in the back of the classroom. And I, I kind of think of that person or that character as is, is this idea of 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 what could be, you know, or, or what, you know, anybody could be, you know, like the the so-called unknown person that that's inside of us, you know, instead of like the mass person that we walk around being every day. Cause at the end of the video, you you see that that so called mass person I'm talking about walking around handing out like these uh these cards like all the guys in De La Soul. And when you look at the person that he's handing the card to, they turn back and it turns into that person. Like he, when he gives the card to Dove, it's Dove giving out the card. And and then, you know, Mace, the DJ, it, it turns into Mace. And, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, a mirror, so to speak. Um, yes. You know, which yeah, they, yeah. obviously they bring that up in the in the song to, you know, mirror, mirror on the wall. Tell, yeah. tell me, mirror, what is wrong? And, you know, again, like I said, it's, when, when you're young and you're kind of like trying to be yourself and everybody's trying to be something other than themselves, you know, this was a really, really great song to to kind of set you in the right direction, so to speak, where you, you're you not afraid to be yourself, you know, which, I mean, that can carry on. I mean, I'm, you know, 45 now. And even even now, I mean, it's just, you know, sometimes you think, you know, who am I really? I mean, I know what I like, I know what I want to do, but I mean, you know, trying to get down into the you that's really you without all the influence of what's going on around you, that can be a pain in the neck. You know mm-hmm. yep. sometimes. And I, I think that's what I really appreciate about uh about De La Soul as a whole, especially this record. I mean, you know, like you said, they were they were so young. I mean, and anyway, you know. Um <laughs> Just, uh, I could go on and on about this this song, and but um, let's listen to it. I guess. And okay, then, um, you want to want to intro it? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is uh, De La Soul with me, myself, and I.
3: Me, myself,
4: Me, myself, and
2: I. And we just heard De La Soul, Me, myself, and I, classic hip hop jam. Um, yeah. And something else too that that I, I kind of want to talk about a little bit with them is the sampling on this yes. record. Yes. Yes. Um, wow. Um, lots of good, lots of bad. Good in a sense to where the the innovation in sampling which you know prince paul was like you know a guy that helped produce and put together a lot of this with de la soul i, I consider him really like the fourth you know de la soul if you will or the fourth daisy however you want to look at it you know the the one guy in de la soul that's kind of behind the scenes that you know helped them sound the way they did especially on yeah. their first three records uh before they kind of started doing their own beats and and, and uh tracks and stuff uh Prince Paul was 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 huge um, in helping De La Soul kind of you know bring the sound that they wanted out on on this record uh, and and sampled things that and again in in rap music you who goes to a children's nursery rhyme album looking for beats Prince Paul does <laughs> you know who who samples the turtles steely dan parliament i mean johnny cash johnny cash
1: you know Uh, i i thought it was interesting too that um this has got to represent one of the last albums in the great sampling tradition before the legality of doing it was hammered out you know what i mean
2: yeah and and i think this record too you know, like we talked about Paul's Boutique as well, Yeah. after these records came out, it changed legally the standard, because De La Soul had tremendous legal woes from this record. In, in particular, the, there, there's one song called Transmission, Live Transmission from Mars, I think is the song, uh, where they, they'd sampled the turtles um, you showed me. Um, there was a huge lawsuit behind that, um, that. I mean, eventually it got worked out, but yeah, they they when they got the record finished and got everything to tommy boy the their record label there were some things that that weren't handled properly and then the next thing you know i mean there are lawsuits everywhere and uh it's it's cool that like you said at the time they were able to do this the way they did it because now trying to do this record exactly the same way i don't even know if it would happen uh no, oh, I, I couldn't. The, a lot yeah. of these
1: records, I don't think financially could happen now. Yeah. Because, I mean, clearing and uh, paying, uh, you know, royalties and all this stuff on all the samples that were used would just be a, it would not be a nightmare.
2: Yeah.
1: It would yeah. be uh, just a financial and a sort of legal and bureaucratic nightmare to do it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I think, you know, the way it was it was done before, it's like the gate that you go through to get this record done. There was almost nobody standing there. Now there's like they're they right, right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Thousands of people just like I wish you would sample me. Yeah. You know, without my yeah. permission, especially. Yeah. I mean it's yeah, it's it's totally, totally different now. Yeah. You know I mean that's it's 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 ironic that this record I, I don't think you can find a, a copy that's in print. I mean, you. I mean, you. Well, you can find it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I. You can go like the internet. I mean, you can find pretty much anything. But it is not like on iTunes or Spotify or that kind of thing, which is is really kind of tragic. I mean, it, it's, right. it's. I'm pretty sure there's some legal stuff that has to 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 happen yes. for it to come back. Yeah. Uh, and it,
1: it but, sucks for us too because that means I'm gonna have to. Pull the audio from youtube yeah. which is the, the audio is not going to be as good you know as it could be and yeah
2: yeah but this is this is a i mean it's it's a monumental record where you know rap music kind of you know got a reprieve from being you know you know delegated to just being one thing yeah you know it, it hip-hop music is, is is such an art form that trying to to keep it in a box where it's only one thing would have been really really sad. You know that that would have been a tragic a tragic ending. I think for for rap music and hip hop. But I mean, groups like De La Soul came along, and you know even though a lot of people you know maybe didn't care for what they were doing, it was it was necessary because. You know, rap has has so many things to say. I mean, you know, you can say anything in in rap music that you really want. I mean, you know, sort of to I mean to a certain extent. I mean a lot easier than you can in a song. I mean, obviously we just talked about, you know, how smoke on the water is just it's just like this kinda like notes from a, a situation that kinda happened. But rap music is you know, I mean it's so much more of a a medium when it comes to just getting across a point you know where you don't necessarily even have to rhyme and I mean the way these guys rapped I mean it was it was so different in a sense to where you know I I mean you have two very talented guys on on the microphone but, but their style of speak as they would say was so much different from anybody I think that had really come before them you know
1: um yeah yeah. Yeah, you know one thing I wanted to talk about cuz we're talking about this sampling th- thing, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of sampling on this record and um I wanted to talk about that for a minute because um you know I had this conversation when I was working at that music store that I was talking about earlier, the the retail music store, not not like a record store that we worked at, but a store that sold musical instruments and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And there was a guy that worked with me and um he was you know just, just a white kid you know into hard rock and stuff rap was not one of his genres and um over the the uh speaker system in the store um they had been playing this old school you know they'd been playing uh rapper's delight sugar hill gang rapper's delight okay uh. and uh he would you know always make the comment like you know how he didn't like it and Oh, you know they can't come up with any of their own stuff. They just have to, you know, steal from other artists and blah blah blah. I don't get that. Okay, I wanted to speak to that real quickly <laughs> um, because people are who think that are completely missing the point and don't know the history of of hip hop. Um, and you can you chime in on this too, but basically. You know, when all this stuff was coming out in the late '70s and early '80s, it was coming from areas that were um, uh, sort of poverty-stricken areas. Uh, people didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of resources, um, and so they didn't. You know, I think a lot of them didn't have stuff like musical instruments and bands and equipment to to set up. You know, those bands, PA systems, and you know, money for music lessons and all that stuff. But what every household did have was a record player. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, you could take that record player out and you could take all your old records that you had or your parents had or whatever, and you could isolate um, certain drum breaks and you could isolate certain instrumental passages from different songs and you could rap over them. And that's like, like a foundation of hip hop. You know, yeah. and and, yeah. and the artistry of taking those and combining them in, in certain ways and taking snippets of this and that and creating, you know, uh, something new out of it.
2: Yeah, I, I, Cool Herc comes to mind. DJ Cool Herc was one of the first guys to, to, you know, do block parties and house parties where he would literally have, you know, a setup with two turntables you know records where he would mix, you know, especially like old James Brown, funk and soul records, and uh, you know, in the in the mix, you know, create a new sound by the way he would lay these tracks together, and um, you know that's not something that just anybody could do, you know. There is a there was an artistry to that, especially the way he did it, you know. And I mean, with this record. <laughs> the the level of, yeah, yeah. of tracks and sampling, like this song we're gonna talk about, you know, um for anybody who liked schoolhouse rock back in the day, like on Saturday mornings, you know, you can appreciate this song where you know they basically sample the the magic number song that, that was on schoolhouse rock. And I mean the first time I heard this, I mean I was just like who does that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I, that was like one of the last things I would figure someone would sample because I mean, I I loved Schoolhouse Rock coming up as a kid. I mean, it was it was it was yeah, fun for me because <laughs> it, it was music, plus it was educational and the animation that went with it. I mean, you know, all the people that they would bring in like Blossom Dearie and 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 the light to sing those songs. I mean. I I have I have the DVDs of of School. Oh, really? Rocking my house now. I mean, you know that's how much I loved it. So when when that song came on, it's like one of the first songs after one of their skits. By the way, that's something that we got to talk about that too. The the hip hop skit in between songs. Yeah, that was not something that I really had ever been, you know. I mean, introduced to before this record where you have you know an artist on a record basically kind of you know doing comedy skits if you will in between songs. I mean I was just like what the hell? <laughs> and it's like they're on a game show and, and, and this on this record. I mean it was it was just it just blew me away. I mean it was I got my money's worth <laughs> when I bought yeah. this cassette. I mean I was totally yeah. like, are you kidding me? It was it was funny but it was but it was groundbreaking you know I'm, I'm trying to remember like the very first time i listened to this album um which is it's it, that that's funny too because they, they have another record uh their their stasis high record where <clears throat> the intro to that album is it's like a sort of skit where they ask a bunch of people like like famous people their friends rappers whatever where were you the first time you listened to? Uh, uh, boogie down productions, criminal minded, and uh, and then at the end they kind of bring up you know, three feet high and rising, like where it was the first time you? Where were you when you first heard that record? And I'm pretty sure, you know, on the first one I was, I mean, boogie down productions, I was at this guy's house shooting pool, you know, that lived down the street from me when I first heard criminal minded, and then de la soul, you know, I was in my car like my old mustang because I just bought the tape from. From Sound Warehouse on the Hempstead <laughs> Highway here in Houston. I mean, it's it's just a record, like it was so good. I remember the, where I was the very first time I listened to it, you know. I mean, years and years ago. And uh, and all the skits and the sampling. I mean <clears throat> sampling where you wouldn't recognize it. On the record, the way it played it, I mean, you you have to break it down. And and De La Soul is one of those groups. I mean, it, people who are familiar with uh, the Who Sampled uh, website, which which is like a website that totally breaks down, you know, sampling and music. Their section on that website is is really it's it's fascinating, <laughs> you know, to see some of the things that they've used as far as drum loops and just little vocal bursts here and there. I mean just some some crazy stuff where you're like you know there's no way they sampled this you know did they really sample yeah this you know just all kinds of stuff like that but, uh,
1: uh that would be really i haven't seen that site. So that'd be really interesting
2: to oh out. yeah yeah who sampled is uh i mean there's an app for it i mean uh, it's an app for everything but um you know if you hear a song and you 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 recognize a a drum beat or 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 something, then you go. Know, well, I can type that song in or that artist, and it'll show you where the sample, most of the time where it came. Sometimes it gets stumped, but you know, they're, they're pretty good. It's a pretty yeah. good website.
1: Yeah, you know, that, that skit thing, man, that's something that the hip hop community really ran with after this. Oh, yeah. Like oh, it was yeah. almost like compulsory for a while to have skits yeah. on the albums.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes to the point where it was annoying, uh, but. Yeah, the, the way they did it here was that was just really it was just it was funny. And I mean that that's something I think too that, that rap music and hip hop music was missing was a sense of humor in some ways. I mean there, there was some rap music that was funny, but I mean funny like this, no. No. I mean they they took humor and, and style their style of humor, I mean, was I mean it was amazing. I I loved what what they did, especially with the the skits in between, where they're on this game show, and they they ask these just completely ridiculous questions that nobody can answer, and you know <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to you know figure out you know what do I need to do to answer this question and anyway. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're gonna cover. Pretty soon, I don't know, but in still in the D's, we're going to cover another album with a bunch of skits on it, that Dr. Dre, the Chronic. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, kind of very different, but um, but yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. another groundbreaking, huge groundbreaking record. Mm-hmm. Uh, that'll be fun.
1: Cool. Well, should we listen to the last one? Oh yeah. Okay.
2: All right. Yep. De La Soul again uh, with uh, the magic number.
3: Number three, somewhere in this hip hop, soul community was going three, they stubbed and that's a magic number. What all mean? Difficult preaching is posthumous pleasure. Pleasure in preaching starts in the heart. Something that stimulates the music and the measure. Measure in the music, races three parts. Casually see, but don't do like a soul. Cause and doing are actions for monkeys. Doing hip hop, hustle, no rock and roll. Unless your name's Brewster, cause Brewster's a punk. Parents let go cause it's magic in the air. Criticizing rap so you're out of order. Stop looking, listen to the phrase and Freda Stairs and don't get offended while May Stosi does your daughter. A dry camera roll system is now set. Fly around stored store under Daisy Productions. It stands for the inner sound. In that not a trick, but show the Everybody wants to be a DJ, everybody wants to be an MC, but being speakers are the best, and you don't have to guess. You get our soap, consists of three, and that's the
4: magic number. This here piece of the pie is not deserved, but the cost that we're dining. And three out of every darn time, the effect is, mmm, a the daisy grows in your mind Showing true position, this here piece is kissing the part of the pie that's missing Where that negative number fills up the casualty Maybe you can subtract it, you can call it your lucky partner Maybe you can call it your adjective but odd as this may be, without my one and two, where would there be? My three mates pass to me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean? Focus is formed by flaw to the soul. Souls before style gain praises by pounds. Common on speakers who honor the scroll. Scroll written daily creates a new sound. Listeners listen, cause this here is wisdom. Wisdom of a speaker, a dub and a plug. Set aside a legal substance to feed him for now. Get him high off this dialogue. Time is a factor, so it's time to count. Count not the negative actions of one. Speakers of soul souls.
2: And that was Daylight Soul with uh the magic number. And uh, I think next we're talking about Sandy Denny? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, she she is somebody I was not that familiar with. Uh, I was
1: not at all familiar with her. Um yeah, Sandy Denny, her album Sandy from 1972 again released the same year as Machine Head from Deep <clears throat> Purple. Uh I you know I I didn't realize that i had heard her before, but she was the other vocalist on The Battle of Evermore from Led Zeppelin IV. Oh, uh, okay. So she's like the other voice on that song. Cool. So I had heard her before, but yeah, I just d- didn't was not <laughs> familiar with her at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: and I guess it was in Fairport convention too. That's something I was, I uh, read about just, I mean, they're, they're another group that I mean, I'm not as familiar with, but you know, more so than just her as an individual, you know, which anyway, <laughs> uh,
1: I didn't, Yeah, I didn't know any, I didn't know Fairport convention. I didn't know any of these groups. Um, so yeah, she, um, you know, she kind of started singing in college in 1965 over in Britain. And then she kind of uh, was members of several different bands around the time, the Straubs Fairport convention and fathering gay, I guess is how you say it. Yeah. um, In the late sixties. And then around 1970, she went solo and she started uh, making solo records and sort of distinguishing herself. And she's, she's la- labeled as folk and uh she's i mean she's definitely folk but this album uh sandy uh, it's kind of interesting because i mean it's sort of i mean it's folk but it's definitely got some 70s sensibilities on it yeah and some yeah. 60s sensibilities on it that branch out from the folk genre um some of the tunes i thought were a little weird as far as like the mix of influence, I don't know. I I thought some of it worked for me, and like some of it, I was just kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure about this. Yeah, It's how I kind of took the, took it as a whole. But um, I don't know. What were your reactions about t- to this record as a whole?
2: Well, well the particular the, this particular record. I mean, it's it's. I wouldn't say it, it's straight folk. No, I mean it's. I think it's. Th- the the combination of her her record label probably trying to make do with with the talent that she has where she does have a genuine talent first of all her voice beautiful voice man i love her voice and um Mm -hmm. just her style of singing where at times it's it's almost like like storytelling you know which obviously the folk influence you know in, in an irish sense even where it's like a you know like like the old school Irish type folk singers that that tell stories. I mean, she can definitely do that. But it seems like they they try to you know, you know take her in a couple of different directions. Like you said, I mean, some of it some of it's definitely kind of pop sounding. I mean, for what you would consider pop music of that era. And like I said, I think that that has more to do with her probably her record label than than anything else. Where they maybe they just wanted to try to you know use her voice and and do what they could to you know have a success but i yeah, mean yeah. at at the core of what she is yeah i mean you know this record may not be her best record but it's 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 interesting to see you know this this period where you know they they just kind of showcase her and like i said her her vocal style i mean for sure is it's I love it I mean she's she's got a a, just a really nice alto sounding voice I mean Mm -hmm. you know and I mean that that's one thing that that I don't get tired of that you know I mean like you said some of the the ways that they they try to showcase her on the record like you said it's it's a little weird it's you can tell it's not really you know maybe her in 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 a sense of what she's normally normally doing you know I mean, some of her other stuff, I'm sure it sounds a lot more folky than this. But, you know, I I think it's interesting to kind of see this this period of her career and and what, you know, what she's capable of doing outside of, you know, the traditional folk style of what she had been used to doing, you know.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why uh, some of it. it is a little I don't know. Ex, sort of like experiments kind of like yeah. you're saying like branching out so sort of um taking those folk roots and then branching out into different directions and stuff and and like i said for me some of it was successful in the album and some of it for me was not quite as successful but i mean also at the same time i really admire the attempt i guess to you know what i'm saying to branch out and try to try to inject folk with like you know new ideas and new sounds and and new influences so
2: yeah yeah i mean it's you know there's nothing wrong with with that per se i guess but yeah yeah but uh yeah i mean i think to with her though i mean it's it's not complicated i mean you you just kind of let her 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 do her thing and 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 everything else will kind of fall into place i mean you don't have to. I don't think you have to reinvent the wheel with her. I mean, you know, probably simple is is better, you know, and I mean I'm just this is just my maybe my opinion. Um, you know, just her voice, a guitar, especially an acoustic guitar, you know, and then not much else. I mean, that, right. that's right. That's really all she needs. I mean, I, I mean, like I said, her, her voice really it, it could carry pretty much everything else, you know. I mean, but they, like you said, they they tried to do some different stuff, you know, and, and add different, you know, sounds and and styles to what she already had, you know, which that's fine, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, you know. Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah. Uh. The first track we're gonna listen to is "Sweet Rosemary," and um. You know, again, I think this is an interesting mix of like '60s folk music, um, almost like '70s country you know, like 70s yeah. country and Western feel, and then her vocal style over this is is very traditional sort of British Isles vocal style over this, yeah, this yeah. mix of, of influences. So it's a pretty interesting song. The lyrics, too, are very, um, almost like an Irish traditional song. Um,
2: yeah. I agreed. I, and that's... You know, going back to what you said about you know it being kind of weird, some of that may be to you know where they want to try to introduce her to a new audience that maybe hadn't hadn't listened to her before or been you know you know familiar with her before. And I you know not to pick on record, well you know that's fine. Let's pick on record labels. (laughs) Record labels they do all kinds of stuff like like this where. You know, they, they, they have somebody that that they know has got a, a particular, you know, place where they, they just shine. But maybe they feel like, you know, maybe we could get something else out of this where we introduce them to a whole new audience like America, which, you know, I'm pretty sure people here in America knew about her. I mean, because, I mean, obviously she, she'd had ties with, you know, different artists that you know, had had gone on to be really famous. Like apparently, she knew like Simon and Garfunkel, like before they became like really, really famous, and they they were kind of an influence on her to go in and and sing more and more. Because I think she was going to be like a nurse
4: before That's she right. wound up yeah, uh, yeah.
2: finally decided to go into into music. And um, you know, just when when you have a a particular audience, like you know. I'm sure she did in, in Great Britain and Ireland and other places around Europe. You know, record labels are thinking, you know, well, let's let's see if we can get more of an American pull. And, and that's probably where, you know, some of the sounds like this particular song maybe, you know, wound up coming up, you know. Which, like I said, I mean, it's, you know, that's fine. I mean, you know, it's, 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 there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you have so many artists that go through that. I mean, where their, their style and, and, and sounds you know will will be kind of tinker with and play with over the years and some artists have more obviously say over that where they're just like no I'm not doing that like say like Prince you know <laughs> Prince is one of those guys that you know obviously he's he's had you know major you know fallouts with his so-called record labels <laughs> yeah. where he's just <laughs> like you know I know I'm not doing this that or the other and, you know um well, and Nelson too he's one of those guys that just you know He's probably like, you know, I'm I'm Willie Nelson and you're not, you know, I don't care. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm just I'm gonna do what I wanna do. And yeah, if I wanna yeah, yeah. sing with this guy, well anyway. Um so I think that's that's part of a big part of what I, I take from this record, you know, mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. It's just the you know, it was just a, a thing with her label probably, where she was like, you know, cool, let's let's try this, let's try that, you know, whatever you think will work. I know I know what I can do and you know I'm not gonna forget that, but
1: yeah. Well, um, let's let's check out the first track. This is uh Sandy Denny with Sweet Rosemary.
0: My dear he is so fine Sweet Rosemary did say she got the flowers on she sign. Was awaiting the day. Oh, when I was a lass at school, I looked out at the sky and among the woodlands cool, gathering sweet brim roses. I, I wish I was a little.
1: heard sandy Denny's sweet rosemary we're gonna move on to the song for nobody to hear um you know one of the reasons we're you're sort of talking about how maybe she wasn't as well known in america and stuff and one of the reasons probably was that she died young you know she has oh. another kind of tragic story where she died in i think 77 so not that many years after this album with you know, don't go into the details, but stuff related to substance abuse issues. Yeah. Um and uh that may be one reason, you know, why she's not better well known. I don't know. But uh, you know, this song for nobody to hear, this got it got mixed reactions from me. I, I like the song. Um but we were talking about her voice, you know, how great her voice is. And you mentioned, you know, she doesn't need anything except just her voice and a guitar and it would be probably the best thing, you know, because she's got such a great, strong voice. And this song, man, is like, it's very strange. It's almost like some producer came in and said, OK, let's capitalize on the Beatles breakup and like release something that sounds like very Beatlesque." esque This sounds like something off of Sergeant Pepper, even down to the production value and the vocal effects that are on her voice. It sounds like something that there's like, sounds like they're trying to recreate how Sergeant Pepper sounded. Yeah. Um, It's very sixties. So at the time would have been seen as, as a throwback, I think. Um, And the vocal effects, you know, I would say almost detract because you said her, her voice is so great, you know, Mm -hmm. and then they, if they throw these vocal effects, which worked in certain contexts for John Lennon or whatever, but it, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure it works for her.
2: Yeah. I I would, I would think, you know, kind of it's, it's just, it's a contrast from, you know, what, what she normally probably was used to doing. And again, it's just, you know, record labels are, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, sometimes just full of bad ideas. (laughs) I mean, and I mean, sometimes those bad ideas, they work, you know? Yeah. But, you know, sometimes they really don't, you know? And, you know, and it just depends. I mean, it's not all record labels. I mean, some record labels are really on it. I mean, where they, you know, they they run like you know, like just this well-oiled machines. You know, really good production teams, really good writers, really good studios. You know, really good people in promotion. I mean, people willing to take chances, people willing to to see past you know the rawness of whatever is you know considered talent or not and i mean you know this is just probably one of those situations where they were probably hoping for you know uh a break for for this lady in a sense that yes. maybe didn't yeah, yeah. really really happen the way they hoped right so
1: right yeah, So i mean again it's this song for nobody to hear it's not a bad song it's a good song but it's 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 interesting i mean it's interesting to think about it um in the you know for the time that it came out and sort of what they're trying to do and whether or not you think that's successful or not it's kind of interesting but um it's just kind of why i picked it you know for the show but yeah i don't know, anything else you want to say no no all right let's hear it. the last track from sandy denny this is for nobody to hear <laughs> and we just heard for nobody to hear by sandy denny and that's going to do it for 1000 rp um episode i keep forgetting what episode we're on episode 57 yeah there you go um if you would like to send us an email please do it 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com join us on twitter at 1000 rp you can join us on facebook Uh, You can go to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. And if you do, we will read your review on the show. And you can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash 1000RP. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash 1000RP. And you can support the podcast and help us uh, with equipment costs and buying music and stuff like that. Um, Next week... We have I didn't have my book open. Let's see.
2: Derek and the Dominoes.
1: Oh yeah, Derek and the Dominoes. Layla and other assorted love songs. Yep. Then um Paul Desmond with Jim Hall, uh jazz album. So uh Paul Desmond uh Sax player, Jim Hall a guitar player. And then we have um I'm gonna probably butcher their names. Tumani Diabate and Balaké Sisoko.
2: That's good. That sounds good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, New Ancient Strings is, the, is called is the album title, and um, I, apparently Tumani Diabate plays a kora, which is a twenty one string harp lute, an African instrument. So uh, that should be interesting. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. <laughs> all right man well uh until next time uh we will see you again with i don't know some more cool albums from tom moon's book later everybody yeah.
2: hey hey one, one more thing um oh yeah mention. we forgot yeah
1: yeah yeah i know i know what you're gonna say go ahead uh
2: bb king's yep. passing yep I, I didn't want to go by without yes. that. Just, thank you know, thank
1: you for stopping me
2: oh uh, rest <laughs> in peace bb king uh king of the blues uh wow well i mean you know when when somebody like that i mean i I know they've been talking about him being ill and everything but still when he passes i mean it's there's so many i mean there's there's not many people like him around left anymore you know yeah yeah um just a really iconic figure that that passed away you know i think it was friday um yeah i just i wanted to mention that you know just uh you know, B.B. B. King was a, uh, he was a legendary figure.
1: He was um. certainly a legendary figure. I mean, you know, lived about as full of a life as anybody can be expected to ever live, you know. Oh, yeah. And he oh, was yeah. a legend, you know, from very early on and really had a very successful career his entire life, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was an amazing uh, legacy that he left, you know, so
2: yeah 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 and i just you know i like i said I, I i thought about that uh the other day where i was like let's let's just definitely you know bring him up because obviously we're going to talk about him later um in the book but um yeah bb king's passing very significant um you know uh ironically you know, we're going to talk about Derek and the domino's you know next week you know a huge influence on eric clapton which if you if oh, yeah. you go to eric clapton's facebook page uh he left a very, you know, very touching message uh, where he talks about, you know, BB King being one of his best friends and, and definitely a mentor to him and, you know, um, you know they they they've made quite a bit of music together. They have a whole album together um, that came out a few years ago called uh, Riding with the King. Uh, that's, that's a pretty good record. Um, awesome. So that's gonna be, you know. You know, something to kind of touch on again, I guess, once we, we kind of talk about them. I mean, but B.B. King's influence, I mean, pretty much anybody that's ever picked up a guitar and, and played maybe has had some sort of influence uh, from B.B. King. Um, you know, yeah. just uh, an amazing figure, not just in blues, but in music, period. You know, sort of a, a music ambassador, if you will. Um, anyway. Rest in peace, B.B. King. Yep,
1: Yep. definitely. All right. Well, uh, we will see you all next time.
2: All right. Bye-bye.